Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, a co-editor of PW Comics World, and editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, we're back on the floor of New York Comic Con, the belly of the pop culture beast, but we've got a treat for you. We're at the booth with Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, uh, the, the artists on the New Mutants, um, uh, Daredevil, Elektra. Uh, for me, myself, where I really discovered him was the work of Straight Toasters, uh, Brought to Light. Um, uh, I was obsessed with big numbers. Uh, Bill Sinkevich, thank you so much for being on More to Come. It is absolutely my pleasure. Good to see you. Uh, so well, I, I definitely want to focus a little bit right away about the this, this art book and sort of retrospective on your career, Revolution, uh, by Six Foot Press. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about this book. Well, uh, over the years, there have been many... Uh, Publishers who've wanted you know, to do a book of, of you know, a retrospective of, of mm-hmm. my work, and I always felt it was a little difficult because I've also played outside of the realm of just comics. I mm-hmm. love comics mm-hmm. is where my, sure. my heart beats, but um, but I've also loved doing things for uh, for illustration, for movie posters, for album covers, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you name it. Just to sort of out in the quote, you know, real world. You know, <laughs> uh, although it, you know. You can switch between the two. It's like t- depending on who you talk to, which is which is the real world. Well, the comics world is getting a lot yeah, bigger yeah, than it used to be. Exactly, and it might be more real in terms of yeah. and indicative <laughs> of where we really are. But um, but six foot because of um, uh, they had approached us about uh, that one of the, one of the, the publishers of it was was affiliated with with the Museum of Modern Art had done work with the Museum of Modern Art and his colleagues and, and cohorts. Um, they wanted to approach uh, uh, Ben Davis, who is mm-hmm. one of the, the premier art critics sure. and historians, and um, and they approached myself and, and my art rep Sal and said we want to do Bill's work in the context of a larger sort of societal, cultural, mm-hmm. con- you know, uh, arena, not just as like the the sort of disposable comic stuff and, and again I don't feel comics are disposable sure. but culture like that tends to and also there's also that aspect of that certainly that when I was growing up that comics are just for kids yeah. and that that's been something that I've railed against my entire career I love and respect the medium I feel like the medium can do anything it's capable of anything uh, of the most intense gravitas and the most hilarious humor and the deepest you know plus as you mentioned with brought to light i feel it's 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 a valid viable medium for investigative journalism sure. yeah so yeah. it's like you know it, it can it can do anything so that's when when they they approached that i thought let's let's pull the trigger with 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 this with with six foot so this is for, and this is volume 1 that's so, right. This, yeah, it's right. a three, and of course, I neglected to mention Neil Gaiman has an introduction yes, as well. Yes, and uh, I mean Neil is a sweetheart. I've known Neil forever. I love him, and it's like you know, uh, you know, the, my my bad joke is that I knew Neil Gaiman before he was Neil yeah, Gaiman. You know, <laughs> um, and um, I, you know, and he's just been like, like, uh, like I'm so. I mean, he's, he's he's a bit younger than I am, but I, but I feel I feel like. He and Dave McKean, you know, because I, I, I met them both at the same mm-hmm. time in, in the UK, and I sort of feel like either the, like the older brother or the parent or in some. It's like I'm so proud of, of, of everything that they've accomplished. So to have Neil 
um, as busy as he is, mm-hmm. you know, agreed yeah. to, to to do this was was just a just a sweet sweet gesture, you know. Well, the book has incredible reproductions, really. I guess across the bulk of your career, uh, there's amazing pages, as I mentioned, from Straight Toasters. Obviously, the comics work, illustration, as you mentioned before. Uh, but maybe you could tell our readers a little bit about you. I mean, you have such a distinctive art style, and I have, many people have said over the years. Obviously, you bring the sensibility of a gallery artist as well as the, the, the you know the dynamic quality of comics i mean how how did you evolve your style and and it was how did the editors take to you well, <laughs> in it, the early like days there's a couple interesting questions in that one question okay. like so like um, one i think in terms of like i'm going to i'll try to answer the second part first like, okay. in terms of of um, and as I say that, I'm thinking oh, maybe I should go the other way around. But let me. Uh, but when I, um, the editors, when I first started, I was very much in the Neil Adams vein. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I said, I'm going to have to go back to the other. I'm going to have to flip the question to how you originally told it. So um, the idea when I, I I fell in love with comics and newspaper strips, um, uh, you know, when I was a kid, and it was like, and to me that was just like. The, like as the, the old expression goes, the bee's knees. It yeah. was like it was everything. Because here, here was, especially in the newspapers. Uh, you know, because as a kid, newspapers were there on Sunday, so it wasn't like until I, I wouldn't have to go to a store to get a comic book. So it was my first, in, you know, in, introduction to this medium, mm-hmm. like of like words and pictures together and, and all this bright color. And uh, so the, the the stuff from Peanuts mm-hmm. to Again, the things that I was reading growing up, like Smokey Stover, mm-hmm. to Gandhi, sure. to Carrie Drake, to, to Dick Tracy, to On Stage with Mary Perkins. So you had all of these like romance, illustrative, uh, you know, pieces. Prince Valiant, which was very, very romantic. Uh, you this know, is the golden age of the, the golden, comics newspaper golden, strips newspaper here. Strips. And, <laughs> you know, and and then you get something like like some of the early strips of like Broomhilda, where it was just yeah. all of this sort of esoteric thing and 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 just bizarre kind of silly all across the board. Uh, yeah, you've touched on every single yeah. style that every there is. Style. And I thought if one medium could do this, yeah. you know, and I, I know that TV could do it or whatever. You know, it's like, but. Uh, but you could be you could be or do anything. So um, so I fell in love with comic books and the superhero stuff. To make the long story short, I fell in love with all the DC stuff. Neil Adams came along. I hated his stuff, and then I grew I grew to love his stuff. Became a big fan. Did comics all through grammar school and high school for myself and for my friends. Really absorbed Neil's style. Not I didn't try to copy him, but I, I loved his. His movement and his, mm-hmm. his angle. So I wanted to be able to draw as well, but not like swipe, but yeah. just like it was almost like I wanted it to. I wanted to bring his DNA into it, like sure. you know, the spirit a, a graft, sure. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I went to art school, and uh, th- and that's when everything kind of opened up yeah. like, wide mm-hmm. for me because there were fine art, advertising, illustration. Uh, like everyone from abstract expressions. Plus, I went to school in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So there you're, was you're from Jersey. Yeah. Well, I'm, originally, I'm a farm farm kid, so uh-huh. I was bailing hay, and so 
you know, there, when I was drawing like Neil Adams, there were no adults around talking about you don't want to be a clone. Yeah. And it's like this one, none of them knew who Neil Adams was. I mean, they didn't really know like a lot, like who Kurt Swan was. They, I think they probably, if you mentioned Norman Rockwell, I think most of them would have thought he was a competitor for John Deere, like the tractors, you know. So it's that kind of world, you know. So uh, the idea of, uh, you know, finding all of that artwork and illustration and fine art, music and jazz. Um, I mean, the one thing that I loved about Newark was that uh, being from a farm, uh, farm kid and going mm-hmm. to Newark and having, you know, like uh, an incredible mix of, of, of cultures and, and, and of ethnicities. You know, yeah. Where I grew up, it was just, it was just, you know, everybody was the color of hay. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like so. I know it, what you it, mean. Yeah. So, it, and, and then, and then like, and then falling in love with like Miles Davis and, and, uh-huh. and because the, the top four of the art school, because I, I grew up on Glenn Camba, Campbell and Polkas, yeah. you know, and so, and like to go down and listen to like, you know, Bonnet, you know, and like, I mean, uh, uh, you know, like Rita Coolidge, you know, and and other sure. other singers, you know, Billie Holiday. It was like a wide open thing, and and what struck me was that it it resonated with me, mm-hmm. and I just felt jazz is like is where it's at, and and the, the art the, the the rest of the school was actually arts high with which was everyone was a musician. Uh-huh, so, so I mean, um, Savion Glover was one of he. Yeah, That's so, interesting. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so we actually uh, went. You know, basically attended the same school. You know, and Melba Moore was there. It's like oh wow, and then, one and of the like, great you yeah, know yeah. Uh, Ab- pro- yeah. and female Fe- uh, jazz yes, musicians, exactly. uh, trombonist arranger. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. you know, I mean, the only one missing was probably Nina Simone. Yeah, yeah which, I, would, I, which <laughs> would have been like the icing on the cake. You know, but. Um, but the entire environment was just like it changed how I, I viewed comics, how I viewed art, and it made me feel that comics are music. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided to try to get into comics, it was only because I'd always loved doing them. My friends were graduating because I, I was hanging around with older kids uh-huh. and um, the older students who were graduating, and I kind of felt like I was left. I was. Not to sound like a complete asshole, but I was—I felt like I was being stuck with like kids my own age, you know. Because I was—I was, let's let's say, precocious. And, and note note the air quotes. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, uh, which is another way, of, a Jersey way of saying I was an asshole. Um, but the the thing is, is that um, I just wanted to get a critique and see what would happen. So I did a portfolio of like thirty pages, brought it in to DC without an appointment. Uh, and those days, you didn't need to give a blood sample or, or, yeah, yeah. or leave your license, or you know, and have anyone escort you around. And uh, DC loved my stuff, but they were firing people. They said, if, we, "If I give you work, you'll be out on the street in like two weeks." I said, "But you should be working." I'm going to call up Neil Adams, and Neil Adams was my hero. So I went from DC to Neil Adams. Neil Adams like looked at my work. And called everybody into the studio to wow. look at it, and you know, and I'm this kid wearing like nothing but polyester, you know, like you know, I, I mean, I was Jethro Bodine, you know, okay. <laughs> and um, and everybody like was was very complimentary, and so he called up Shooter, and Shooter mm-hmm. like Jim Shooter, looked, Jim Marvel. Shooter looked mm-hmm. at my stuff. So, long story short, is I, I was hoping to get a critique or a pinup. Or at least, like, look, give it up. Because I thought if I don't make it, 
I'll just go back to school for the final year. And I never did graduate, you know, but they did invite me back to, get to teach, you know. Well, I think, you know, you, you did a few things. That's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just sort of, I don't know if that's sort of the, the classic revenge story. But, um, but so I, I basically got a job or a career at Marvel with nothing but a, a portfolio of DC characters. Interesting. You know? So, but but it's but to me the, the idea that the medium can do anything yes. and comics and fine art. I kind of went through standard comics or the comics I had gone mm-hmm. through. I feel like I sort of digested that and mm-hmm. and, and output that early on. Uh-huh. And, and even and when I did the Neil Adams stuff to get to, to try to get into comics, I thought, well, if I bring in some of the, the more illustrative stuff. That's not what I think they're looking for. So I defaulted back to the Neil Adams. But inside, and all my sketchbooks and what my fine art pieces were doing, they were all more indicative of the stuff that I I gradually came to do. So Then how do you go from there to site brought to life? I'd love to know more about that. That actually has more to do with, uh, I mean, Harvey Picar was a good good Mm. friend of mine. And that's where I met Joyce Grabner, who I was the editor on the piece, right? Yes, okay, right. Well, Joyce, I got to know Joyce. Uh And Joyce is, is, she's she's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my life. Yes. She, 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 it's like, I I love her to death. She's like, she she brooks no, like, you know, like, uh, she has no tolerance for, for, like, pretense or anything else. Very, very political, yes. and I think that she she saw something in my work and um, started to sort of introduce me to things. Um, and for, then, for those who don't know about Broad to Light, I yeah. mean, it's an amazing history of the CIA. It's a bloody history. Oh, it, uh, uh, by uh, Alan Moore, right? Alan Moore, amazing uh, art by you, the, right. the drunken and, and eagle. I think, and I, and <laughs> I, I mean, mind. I'd always sort of been, I think, in some respects, political as a kid. Um, uh, without maybe necessarily realizing it or with any kind of large, like it wasn't rich writ large or with a hammer on my, you know, like hitting people in the head. But with Joyce, it was like, I, I, I also started to feel like, because, uh, I'd also started to feel a sense of obligation about giving something back. Because, um, Ron Turner and I and, and um, and Trina Robbins, uh, because Joyce, last gas publisher. Last gas. And also with the, um, with with what was happening with with the AIDS crisis, you know? yes. And oh, like, yes. So yes. we did we did um, a book on that, so that all of the proceeds would go to hospice care. And I love the idea that the medium that we love could actually be used as a, a teaching mechanism and a, and a tool to bring information and also do some kind of cultural good. Um, and brought to light, you know, based on on the whole Lepenka bombing and the, and the yes. guns for hostages and, and everything else. It opened up my eyes, and I dove into it. It was—I felt like I had a real purpose. Mm-hmm. My art had a real purpose. It was in—it was at the. It wasn't just simply guys beating each other up in caves. No, know? and and it was and, an extraordinary yeah. work for its time. Yeah. And to be honest, I miss that. Yeah, I would yeah. love to see. And you know, I think with with corporate. Corporations, you know, look, and I, I will say that a lot of corporations are and news newscasts, they they all too easily bang the drum for war, you know. And I think the idea of, I mean, even when we did brought to light, and there was going to be a certain publisher that was going to co-publish with Eclipse, mm-hmm. I think they got pressure from above. I wouldn't doubt of, it. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
So it, it made me more cynical and somewhat more realistic and more and also more committed because then I ended up doing things like the Kennedy uh, assassination cards. Oh, that's um, yeah. I forgot and, about that. And these, then yeah. um, the friendly dictator cards, mm -hmm. which basically dealt with all of the regimes that the U.S. has had a, a, a you know a hand in destabilizing and supporting. It's sort of like you know with. with um, uh, Noriega. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, he may have been a bastard. Excuse me, I can see in my eye. Uh, well, uh, bastard, but like he's our bastard. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, I, look, I, we're doing this interview on the floor, and there's people waiting to sign. So I'm gonna. I got a couple more questions. No, that's okay. That's but I, uh, I, I, I would love to know a little bit more about big numbers. I mean, uh, I was obsessed with that book. I, so was you know, I, and it's, it's my it's my great regret that it's we like a it legend ever. now in the business. Um, you know, uh, Alan approach you. How did it start? And yeah, Alan. Well, I think. It at that point, it was like I was working with Frank uh, on Electra, and uh -huh. Gabe Gibbons was working with Air, with Alan on uh, Watchmen. Mm -hmm. And I think it became a kind of a thing where it was sort of dosey dose swing your partners, you know. Yeah. Like like <laughs> so, when Alan approached me to do it, it was like I I had a, a certain game plan for what I wanted to do with forty five characters. I hired models, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, and some of the models were kids, so it's like, you know, I'm in Westport, you know, I'm driving around and, you know, it, like, I'm this, like, kid with a mullet. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm going up to parents, you know, and Westport's like, if you've ever read The Stepford Wives, it's like West, that's what, <laughs> and talk, talking about, like, I, look, I wanna, I wanna take photos of your kids making Molotov cocktails. <laughs> oh, that's You know, sure it's that. like, that went over really yeah, well. I'll you bet, know? yeah. <laughs> so, but, Big Numbers was about chaos, mm. and the reason it all fell apart was, it, it, it's it's almost like the Terry Gilliam, like Lost in La Mancha mm -hmm. documentary about how like how he was trying to get, some, you know, the whole, um, you know, talk about tilting at windmills. Yeah, you know. So uh, it's it's my biggest regret that we never that yeah. it, we never did it. But I mean, some of the actors uh, or the models passed away, uh -huh. like unfortunately, um, you know, in very tragic circumstances. The main character act the the model for the main character. She got married. She invited me to her wedding, and then I said, well, "Look, after your honeymoon, let's let's resume for the next issue." And um, she said, "Well, I'm not I'm not coming back to the United States. I'm I'm, I'm married into the military. I'm, oh. I'm moving to Germany." Wow. And you know, and at her wedding, I'm like, "Like, how can you do this to me?" You know, it's like, <laughs> you're, it my was like yeah, you're my like, mom. Yeah, it's like it's like you know. And I thought this. You married me first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it like, how dare I be territorial, yeah. proprietary? You know, it's like so. It's it the I mean there might be a, a, a documentary in there somewhere, just simply about I realize now that big numbers as much as I would have loved to have seen it done, the, the story of the two issues or three issues of big numbers and whatever however many came out, it's almost like it's an exercise in life imit like not life imitating art but life in in like sort of imposing itself on art mm. even though the subject is about life you know and 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 whims and vagaries of chaos yeah. and things happening yeah well we're gonna, we're gonna wind this up um uh i was fortunate enough to be in san diego uh when you're inducted into the hall of fame uh you look like you're having a pretty good time up there on the stage and i thought you had some really useful comments about the moment that we live in now in comments and um, I'd love to hear you your thoughts also on where we are in the comics market right now for artists uh, and and the market and, and readers well I think I think it's it's a it, it feels like it, things are more wide open than ever mm -hmm. and also I feel like things are more 
bifurcated and also more constricted than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's That's like interesting. you know because some of the some of the the very very wealthy. It's I don't want to say it's a difference between ninety nine percent and the one percent. You know, there are some arenas that are doing incredibly well, mm-hmm. and um, but yet. The medium, I think, is going to is going to remain as vibrant. They've been predicting the death of comics for a long, long yeah. time. Um, the one thing that that I feel is incumbent upon creators, and, and I and I certainly feel this way, is that I like I like to see all like a lot more new people, younger people getting in, people of, of color, people you know of, of different like all different persuasions, sure. L, like you know LGBTQ groups, sure. you know, getting in and telling their stories because. Um, the one thing I've noticed over my career is that I have seen people, and I'm not going to name any names, but there are, there are I, artists that, and writers that I've admired who who are a little bit like the kind of people who get like they kind of get up, go up the ranks, and then they close the door behind them, and then they they, they arrive at a certain position of, of of power or of influence, and then they they kind of like say, well. Like it's like what Scorsese just said about Marvel Comics. He said that they're they're more like theme park rides. They're not cinema, you know. Which is, I don't ever, you know. And if I'm ever like that, people, have, I, I'm giving people the ability right now to, to slap me in the face, you know. Just slap. Don't do anything worse. It's like, I, don't, I don't want to be a pussy about it, but that's the way it is. But it's like, like somebody said, like even about my work. There was an artist when I first came on board who said he doesn't. Bill doesn't do comics. It's like Bill, Bill, like, it's not a, he's not a real cartoonist. He does illustration, whatever. And I sort of feel like, and I've seen this by, you know, guys who come in after me, and I sort of feel that it's a big tent. I don't want to be one of those guys, and I don't, and I decry one, I, and I kind of decry the people who sort of say, I've made it, I know what this, like, I, I may have pushed boundaries, but if you push boundaries in a way that I'm not familiar with, then that's not comics. Right. It's like it's okay for me to push boundaries, but like, what is this? this? Is like this is not not what comics are. And to me, it's like we're in a we're in a in a continuum. We're in a lineage. So you know, all of those those talks about standing on the shoulders of, of each other. I'm I'm like one I'm one guy. You know, who's just like doing my thing right now. And if I've influenced people, I love it. I'm, I'm appreciative. But I'm also being influenced, and I'm I'm part of like let's let's keep moving forward, and let's see what this what this medium can be. So it, it, I'm all about the big tent. Yeah. All you know? right. So well, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you congratulations much. on your new art book, Revolution, and That's thank you so much, Dose uh, Kevich, for being on More to Come. This is great to, hit, to get a chance to talk. My pleasure, man. So right. great to talk to you. Thank you. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's new <clears throat> twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, we're back on the floor of New York Comic Con 2019 in the belly of the beast, the pop culture beast that is. <laughs> well, my guest likes my shtick here. Anyway, so uh, we're here at the Titan booth, Titan Comics that is, and we're here with, with Mike Johnson, one of the co-authors, along with Michael Michael Green of Blade Runner 2019. I think that's the rough title of isn't it? That is, that is yeah. it. Um, uh, Mike, thanks so much for being on More to Come. Thank you. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, uh, look, this, uh, everyone knows Blade Runner. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the film, the original film, uh, uh, sort of set the tone for so many things. How we think about yeah. science fiction, how we think about the future, yeah. technology, um, uh, that tell us a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna, I wanna learn a little bit about your background, but maybe you can also just set the scene for this new comic. Uh, which comes after the film and then after the uh, Blade Runner 2049 yeah. uh, sequel. So, yeah, how, how to set the scene for the comic. Yeah, so Alcon Entertainment, which which owned the Blade Runner franchise, uh, is really keen to build out the world of Blade Runner, not just with the 2049 movie, but through other medium, media. And uh, one of the first sort of obvious approaches was to do a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner is just so inherently visual. Uh, comics, you have an unlimited budget of for special yes, effects. Yes, yes, it's true. So it was a natural, <laughs> and they talked to Michael Green, my co-writer, who uh, co-wrote Blade Runner twenty forty nine, mm-hmm. and asked That's if he liked the film of Ryan Gosling yeah, and the rest. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They asked if he'd like to oversee the comics, and Michael and I have worked together in the past at DC Comics. Um, and Michael said to me, "Hey, do you want to work on Blade Runner?" And I'm I'm not stupid. So, yeah, why? Well, I'm not stupid all the time. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I said yes, please. So our comic, you know, talking to Alcon and Titan, our publisher, mm-hmm. you know, we couldn't resist the idea of doing a publishing a comic in our year 2019, mm-hmm. set in the year 2019, which is the year of the original movie. Aha, uh-huh, okay, right. Set. I forgot. That. Yeah. Um, so, so look, just before you go any further, yeah. I mean, obviously everyone is familiar with the movie, but but, but settle set the scene. Sure. For this future society that yeah. you're talking about, for so, those of our listeners who may not. So the basic idea of Blade Runner is that in the future, uh, corporations have a massive role, more power even than they do today. And one of these companies called the Tyrell Corporation specializes in building what are called replicants, right. which mm. are essentially fake human beings. Mm. They're, uh, they're androids. Mm. And they are used, uh, as they say in the movie, um, in off-world, off-the-planet Earth, on colonies doing hazardous mining operations, uh, uses combat fodder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the basic uh, idea of a Blade Runner, a Blade Runner is a police officer who is tasked with hunting down these replicants that get to Earth because they're banned on Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Blade Runners are basically special cops, detectives essentially, hunting down these fugitive androids. And these androids are incredibly sentient. Yeah, so the, the motto of the Tyrell Corporation, which makes them, is more human than human. Yeah. So it's actually <laughs> very hard to detect. You wouldn't know a replicant mm. is standing next to you. Um, and there's a crazy test. There's a crazy the test BK, called the, the Voight Conf test, yes, yes. <laughs> which is a very strange... In the original movie, you see Harrison Ford uh, testing Sean Young's character yeah. with mm-hmm. the Voight Conf machine. And it's full of weird, like, offbeat questions that is meant to elicit an emotional response because replicants don't have, uh, they're built with four-year lifespans, um, implanted memories, uh, and you can detect if they don't yeah. have the emotional maturity that a human being would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic gist. Yeah. yeah. No. So tell us about um, the new book. The, the, this, this, I don't want to call yeah. it a sequel. This is an original sure. story set in the Blade Runner universe. That's right. But it's set in uh, roughly, it's, as you said, the same period yeah. that the original film was. Exactly. Yeah. It's set in the same time and place, Los Angeles, 2019, mm, right. um, 
what we, we didn't want to do is take Harrison Ford's character and just tell more stories with him. We wanted mm-hmm. to create a new Blade Runner we haven't seen before, female Blade Runner, yes, um, with a different point of view. And the events of our story in the comic take place alongside the events of ah, the 2019 okay. movie. Cool. So there tell are us about Ash. Oh, excuse me, I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, tell us about Ash. Yeah, so, so <laughs> Ash, uh, Detective Ashina, Ash is her nickname. Uh, she is um, a Blade Runner that has almost a, uh, a, a distaste for replicants that goes beyond just the job. She's almost offended by their existence as replacement humans. She grew up on the streets of L.A. She considers herself... You know, one of the people protecting the people of the city, mm-hmm. and uh, so her she takes her job as a Blade Runner hunting down replicants. I'd say with more determination uh, and more of an edge than Harrison Ford's character did mm-hmm. in the original movie. Um, no spoiler, but in the beginning of the of the original Blade Runner, Harrison Ford is uh, his character has quit being a Blade Runner, uh-huh. and he has to be pulled back in. Whereas our character is like committed to the cause; she's mm-hmm. more of a zealot. <clears throat> And, I mean, and what's interesting about the new version, of course, is that we get a closer look at the sort of the trafficking in yeah. uh, parts. Yeah. And, I mean... So we introduced this idea that, yeah. that uh, Ash sees these these replicants as machines. They're mm-hmm. like toasters. So when she catches one, she has friends who basically chop it up for parts. And yeah. She sells the parts to collectors. Which is like a level that you would not see Rick Decker and Harrison Ford's character do. We wanted to show, uh, and and also because Blade Runner is, is a it's a noir yeah. story. It's it's darker than your average sci-fi movie. Indeed, and, and we wanted to show that that level <laughs> of um, uh, you know just how dark it can get. And uh, and uh, you know as happened in the 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 films uh, in the comic also. I mean there is a level of social stratification. And hierarchy that you investigate, and yeah. it's you know from uh, I mean the one percent doesn't even describe the, difference, right. the differences between that and um, on the ground, which mm. uh, Ash talks about quite a bit in her yeah. uh, flying around. And I mean, obviously, Blade Runner has the flying cars that we've been waiting for That's right. <laughs> for still so many years. For my flying Subaru, uh, yeah. and it, that that figures prominently in the prop plot yeah. also. But yeah. um, she talks about being on the ground and being in the air. Yeah, um, wheels on the ground. And uh, she sort of has to fly a flying car for her job, but she'd rather be on the ground among the people. It's how where she gets her clues as she's as she's hunting. Um, but to your point about inequality, it is uh, we try not to be too heavy-handed with the message. But Blade Runner just presents a future that's dialed up. Everything's mm-hmm. dialed up from what it is right now, and uh, it's this idea that the rich can buy artificial people to uh, do their bidding. While the rest of humanity, in fact, you can only go off-world if you are healthy enough. Mm-hmm. So if you have any kind of disability, and we, Ash actually has a disability that we reveal yes. in the story, mm-hmm. um, you're not allowed to go. And you stay with the crowds down on an earth that is getting worse from climate change, overcrowding, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that inequality that we're starting to see today. Um, seen forever, and, no, no spoilers, but uh, Ash never takes her coat off. But we'll, we'll yeah, just leave it at that. Yeah, she doesn't but, take uh, her coat off. <laughs> um, but there's also, and I think this is part of the other uh, the narratives in Blade Runner, there is an underground movement. There's yeah. a, a sort of uh, replicant underground. Exactly. Yeah. We, we thought it would be interesting if there were scientists and engineers who were responsible for, 
for designing these replicants that maybe grew a conscience mm-hmm. and left the Tyrell Corporation and decided to help those fugitive Jennifer, replicants that have come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's this kind of underground railroad for replicants that we felt presented something new that we hadn't quite seen before. Mm. You see you see a version of it in the 2049 movie, uh-huh. but this is more of like origins of that and mm-hmm. where it started in 2019. Um, yeah, and there's, uh, there's also uh, a plot at the core of this yeah. that um, we're not quite sure what's going on, uh, but somebody's going to get betrayed. Yeah, so so one of my favorite movies is Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the old classic noir sure. film with Fred McMurray. And uh, I wanted me, to embrace... I didn't want to say, if, if you hear a lot of voices and shouting, is because when I said we're in the belly of the beast, well, I mean... we are in the beast. We're at the booth, at Titan booth, on yeah. the floor of New York Comic Con, so you, you know... Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of stuff you're, you're besides hear the background. us. It's a bit like the background noise in Los Angeles in Blade Runner. There you go. It's noisy. <laughs> uh, so Double Indemnity, classic noir film, and we wanted that kind of to set up, even though he's a he works in insurance and Ash is a detective, we wanted that same thing where the classic noir sweat set up of you go and meet somebody who's mysterious and you get pulled into a mystery. Yeah. You're not quite sure who to trust. Even though we talk about noir, you think of black and white, Photography and everything, it's all about shades of gray. Yes. Right? Yes. It's all about shades of gray. Who can you trust? Good people doing bad things. We have Ash basically organ harvesting, but at her core, she's a good person. Yeah. And then you have upright titans of industry that look like good citizens who are actually terrible. Yes. So it's playing in that world. Yeah. No, and it, it sucks you in. It, and I will say also, I mean, certainly beyond, uh, I mean, the uh, Blade Runner has been so influential, but uh, it, it its tone, its mood, its atmosphere of yeah. dread and doom yeah. uh, is something that's been consistent uh, through both of the films, and it and it certainly is in uh, this new comic. Oh, good! Yeah. So that's it's what all we're going there. For. I gotta say, like I've, most of my comic work has been in the Star Trek universe, which is great to work in. We we talk mm-hmm. about how it's good for our mental health to work on Star Trek. Yeah. It's all about the, the yeah. optimistic future sure, yeah. and humanity's Triumph. gonna make it. Yeah, 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 we're gonna make it. But it's so fun to, to go. From that to Blade Runner, and uh, embrace like the kind the of darkness. the dark side. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so you mentioned a little bit about your background. You said yeah. you've done you worked on Star Wars comics, Star Trek, Star. Excuse me, That's Star okay. Trek I comics. Do it all yeah, time. Sorry. Yeah, right. yep. <laughs> and uh, DC. You said yeah. Some Michael DC and work? I. Michael and I started writing mm-hmm. comics. We've known each other for yeah. since college, but um, we started writing uh, comics together at DC on the old uh, Superman Batman series. Yeah. And we did a, a run on Supergirl, which is great, great fun, and uh, and then this was an opportunity to get the band back together. Yeah. yeah. And what about Andres uh, Granado, the artist? Oh, he's great, Andres. You know, we were nervous about who are the, the artist was going to be because Blade Runner is even more than story wise; it's visual. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's why the movie's such a landmark. Mm-hmm. So we we wanted to make sure we got the right person, and uh, David Manley Leach, our editor found Andres uh, who did some test work for us and was able to combine the visual imagination to like wow you with the visuals but also has a sort of a gritty there's a grittiness in the best sense of the word to what he does Mm -hmm. where he can ground it in you know like the steam coming out of the vents on the street Mm -hmm. and like the grime that, that is there 
And uh, he actually the first time he did a, a design for Ash, it was it was it that was it. Yeah, it was like oh that's her. Yeah, and, yeah. and so we just got so lucky. And <coughs> wouldn't be the same book without yeah. him. Uh, this is great. Um, uh, let's see. Great. So um, was there another thing I wanted to ask you? Uh, we can talk about the Yankees and the Cubs some more. Well, you know what? That would take up all of the rest <laughs> of my time because once I start talking about that, there's yeah, no, no yeah. stopping. Oh, I, what I always love in the modern area, I always love to know how you guys work together. I assume you're all living oh, yeah. in different places, yeah. thousands of miles apart. Uh, Is yeah, it? Michael and I, luckily, he lives in L.A. I live in San Diego, uh-huh. so uh, I get up there and see him. On, on a oh, so you got you do a little face to face, yeah. Uh, and and um, uh, Andres lives in Spain. Uh-huh. I've never actually met him, or yeah, that's it. Well, that's English, so much so of the day. You've got, so you've got, today, yeah, right? that's yeah. how it is. It's great, <laughs> it's cool. So, uh, but for Michael and I, we basically I call it story tennis, where you just hit the ball back and forth, coming mm-hmm. up with a story, mm-hmm. and um, I'll write out a draft and then give it to him, and he he does his magic on it, sprinkles the magic dust yep, on yep, it. Yep. And we trade it back and forth, and we argue about lines. And he has an Oscar nomination. I don't. All right, so but he, I still he argue. put a little rank on you from time to time. It, but yeah. I, I love to give it back to yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. And uh, <laughs> we just didn't really have a good time together. And we've uh, just got a great team with Titan. Mm-hmm. They've done an amazing job promoting the and book. So do you do you look at the drawings or sketches digitally? Yeah. Uh, you see stuff from um, time to time. And, you know, yeah, we see uh, layouts from Andres. Mm-hmm. And just, just we might give him one or two notes yeah. about things but for the most part i mean he's so amazing uh and then um actually when we start to get to layouts we start to think about how the scripts you know we might tweak the script according to what he draws yeah mm-hmm. you know sure because he'll come up with things that we didn't even think of uh and then that's just the fun of comics yeah. is that like you're making something every month Right, yep. trains coming down the track. You're laying the track <laughs> yes, in front of it. For sure, and, you know uh, you're laying the track as the train as is the show, like some, Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> and uh, so it's just a fun process. And uh, Michael, I've worked in the low levels of Hollywood for a long time, mm. and Michael, Michael's worked in Hollywood for even longer. And um, one of the frustrating things about about movies and TV is it takes a long time, mm. and it may not even happen. Yes, right. Yeah. The other thing but about with yeah. comics, it's it's almost the flip where it's like. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's coming out yeah. on this day, yeah. and you better finish. There you go. So, so. Uh, that's that's both stressful, but but what's amazing. Yeah, you flip back and forth. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, well, Mike, look, it's great to talk to you. Yes. I'm loving the comic. Um, I've got some issues here, so I'm going to ask you to sign them if yeah. you may. I'll still uh, decrease the value. That's oh, fine. Yeah, no, you, it'll that's be fine. fine. I'll read them tonight when I'm the, or Monday when I'm watching the the, the game three of the uh, of the playoffs. Must be nice. Go to have Yanks. A playoff team. Yeah, well, you Go know, yeah, the Cubs will be back anyway. Mike, thank you so much thank for being you. on More to Fun. Thank More to come. This is this has been More fun. Thanks, man. <laughs> you bet. This is Kate Fitzsimmons on the floor of New York Comic Con 2019, and I'm here with Amy Reader. Hi. How's it going, guys? So. What are you promoting this year? Well, they just announced a new book I'm doing with DC Comics, Amethyst and Gemworld. It comes out in February. And how has your New York Comic Con 2019 been? It's been great. This time around, it hasn't been too cold because I hate AC. And uh, I don't know, it's just great to see everybody every year. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to get better at having a table. I don't know. Seen a lot of really great Moon Girl cosplayers, and I helped design Moon Girl, so that's really fun. And if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? I would say have fun. Make sure you're having fun. That's the point. Thank you. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons. 
live on the floor of Artist Alley at New York Comic Con 2019, and I'm here with Kat Staggs. Hello. So what book are you promoting right now? Um, right now, I am in the middle of working on John Carpenter's Tales of Science Fiction, Surviving Nuclear Attack. Uh, issue 3 just came out. Issue 4 comes out in November. Issue 5 comes out in December. I also have Death of Superman, written by Louise Simonson, coming out in December. I mean, in, no, November, from DC Comics. Awesome. So how has your con been this year? This has been an incredible show this year. It is so packed. It's amazing. So, uh, if you had one thing you could tell our listeners, what would it be? Oh my gosh, out of everything? Just anything you want. Read more comics. Okay, thank you so much. Alright. This is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm at New York Comic Con 2019, and I'm here with Charles Soule. Hey, how's it going? So, what book are you promoting right now? Uh, the biggest thing I'm, I'm working with right now is a new image comics title called Undiscovered Country, which is about the United States closing its borders for 30 years, and then people go in to see what it's become. Uh, the other big project is my next novel, Anyone, which is out December 3rd from Harper Perennial. Um, it's about a technology that's invented that lets you put your consciousness in anyone else's body. So it's very topical and timely. Both books are, really. So how has your New York Comic Con 2019 been? It's been really intense, honestly. I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a lengthy nap. But uh, I've met many, many awesome people, uh, both professionals and, and fans, and it's just the energy here is, is wonderful. And if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? One thing, I guess keep reading. God, please keep reading, especially my stuff. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm on the floor of New York Comic Con 2019, and I'm here with Eric Larson. Hi, I'm Eric Larson. So, uh, what book are you promoting right now? Right now, I am working on Savage Dragon for Image Comics, and I am also working on a Captain America one-shot called Captain America The End, which will be coming out in... I believe January of 2020. Awesome. So, how has your uh, New York Comic Con been this year? My New York Comic Con has been excellent. I, uh, every one of these is like going to a part high school reunion, part family reunion, and just meeting a million other people. It's been great. There's so many people they see year after year after year, just getting together with old friends and and then being able to do sketches for people and sign comics has been frantic. Great. And if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? Ah, uh, jeez, man. <laughs> anything, anything you want. Just like whatever if I could tell mind. them one thing. Um, the first... Buy uh, Savage Dragon. Yeah, Buy Savage Dragon. That's kind of your book. Yeah, right? Okay, I mean, there we go. That's a good okay. one. Thank you. <laughs> so do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Yeah, real quick. Okay, real quick. Super, super quick. So this is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm here on the floor of New York Comic Con 2019, and I'm here with Mark Silvestri. Hi, how are you? Everyone, uh, if you haven't made it to the show this year, you got to do it next year, because it's been great. So how has your New York Comic Con 2019 been going for you? It's been fantastic. The fans here are wonderful. The organization is wonderful. There's something for everyone to see here. I haven't been here for eight years, so coming back, it's just been great. I'll be back next year for sure. So, what book are you promoting right now? I'm promoting uh, All Stuff Top Cow Productions, which is my company. Uh, Darkness, Witchblade, uh, various other titles that we do. I'm also doing a, uh, a special um, project for DC Comics. It's a Batman Joker team-up book. It'll be coming out sometime uh, next year. 
that I'm uh, writing, penciling, inking, and it's uh, unique in the way that it's uh, the Joker and Batman actually have to work together. Be fun. And if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? I'm sorry? If you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? Just love comics. Thank you so much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons on the floor of New York Comic Con 2019 with Vanessa R. Delray, a.k.a. V.R. Delray. And how are you doing today? Doing great, thank you. So how has your New York Comic Con been? Uh, it's been really insane, very uh, overwhelming. It's been very busy. Uh, like, great, a lot of people. So um, if you could tell our listeners one thing, what would it be? Listeners, one thing. Uh, have fun at the con. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons at Comic Con, near Comic Con 2019, and I am here with Colleen Durant. Hi, how's everybody doing today? It's crowded, it's noisy, it's really busy, and it's a lot of fun at New York Comic Con. So, how has this year been going for you at New York Comic Con? This is the best convention I've ever done in my life. Um, I've literally blown through hundreds of graphic novels this weekend at the show. Didn't have nearly enough to meet demand. Um, Snowblast happened with Bonnie Neal Gaines. was gone the first day. And the fans have been fantastic. It's a wonderful show. Thank you so much. And if you could tell your listeners one thing, what would it be? I'm sorry? If you could tell your listeners one thing, what would it be? Um, boy, uh, if you are coming to New York Comic Con, I would get to Artist Alley as early as possible on Thursday. Otherwise, you are not getting that sketch you want, and you're probably not going to get that book you want. But if you want uh, mellower crowds, Sunday is the day to come. And uh, be prepared to do a lot of walking. And if you're disabled... Be prepared to strategize uh, times to uh, get to the bathroom. Thank you so much.